if you have a copy of God's Word today, you can start looking for 2 Kings chapter 5. It's a story about a man by the name of Naaman. Naaman was a general in the king of Aram's army, which is where modern-day uh, Syria is. Uh, scripture, lots of times, it's mentioned as Assyria. Uh, this is a guy who, I mean, if he was a general today, he would have all the salad on his shirt. He was, he was the guy. He was used to coming into a room, and everybody would stand up and salute. He was the guy that, when he got invited to a place, he was always seated in a seat of honor. They would always bring out the white tablecloths and all the forks and knives and spoons and all, just keeping it fancy. This was a guy who was kind of at the top of his game. And he was kind of a rock star, I think, in King Aram's council. And the only drawback this old boy had is he had a, a horrible skin disease. Uh, and it wasn't like psoriasis or anything. It was called leprosy. I mean, it was, it was a horrible disease, but he was still an incredible man and great influencer. Uh, was able to handle uh, all the trouble with men in the army. And he... He, uh, he had went into Israel, kind of cleaned their clock. They took a bunch of people captive and took them back to Syria. Well, one of the little girls that they took captive uh, became a handmaid servant, if you will, for Naaman's wife. And this little girl, she, uh, her master down, down in Israel, his name was Elisha. And so he, she was working in Naaman's shop or with the, you know, with the wife. And she said, you know, man, it's a shame. If, if we would go back home... My master could, could heal Mr. Naaman. He could heal the general. Things would just be awesome. Well, Naaman hears this. You know, his wife tells him, you know, there's this dude down there in Israel who can change your life. So Naaman goes to the king, his boss, and says, hey, king, I, I'd like to go back there. My, uh, little Cynthia, the gal who works with my wife down at the shop, she said that there's this guy there who could heal me. And the king said, well, here's a letter. Take that to the king, and I'll, I'll settle all this. Go get healed, man. We've been sending you everywhere else. Nothing's worked. We'll go back, go back there. And so Naaman goes to Israel, Jerusalem, where the king is seated, the king of Israel, hands the old boy a note. And this is what happens. This is in First, Second uh, Kings chapter 5, verse 7. When the king of Israel read this letter, he tore his clothes in dismay, and he said, Man, I'm not God. I can't heal you. What are you here for? Apparently this king uh, of Aram is just trying to pick a fight with me. And all this is going on at the palace. And, you know, when a guy like this shows up, everybody in town knew about it. So word got out to Elisha. He lived out north of town, if you will, in prophet town. And he said, I tell you what, go send word to Naaman. Tell him, come out my way, and I'll take care of all this. He'll be healed. So Naaman gets the note, you know, and he, he goes to Elisha's house. And he's come pulling up the driveway. I guess Elisha might be looking out the window or something, drinking his little prophet coffee. And he, he sends out word to him. Uh, says, here, take a letter, Maria. I'm going to send this out to Naaman. Uh, tell him to go jump in the, the Jordan River. Dip seven times in the Jordan River, and he'll be healed. And you know, Naaman pulls up, and it's not Elisha out there. And it's the servant person. And it ticked Naaman off. It's like, I'm somebody. How come you didn't come out here and greet me yourself? You're still inside drinking coffee, sitting at their kitchen table, you know. And it, it, it made him angry. And uh, this is what the Bible says, Second Kings 5. Uh, 10 through 14. But Elisha sent a messenger out to Naaman with his message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman, what happened? Dude got mad. 
just blew up because this is the guy that's used to people standing up, saluting him. Yes, sir. No, sir. He became angry and he stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy, call on the name of God, bring out some snakes, some oil. I expected the whole schmeal. And I don't even get that. He wants me to go dunk out there. Aren't there rivers, verse 12, aren't there rivers at Damascus, the Abana and the uh, Farpar? Aren't they better rivers? He said, man, I, I, I was up in Syria. We got really good rivers up there, rock bottom rivers. People canoe and tube up them all the time. And you want me to come down here and, and dunk in your Mississippi River? Are you crazy? There's better, there's better streams than that. Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned away and he went away in rage. He was ticked off. And here's the amazing thing. He's mad and he's walking away still with his leprosy. Okay? He did not get the shirt. He didn't get what he wanted. But thank God that Naaman had some good friends that are around him who, who weren't hurting like Naaman, who, who weren't despondent, who weren't discouraged like Naaman. And so they kind of pour into him. They encourage him. These would have been his, his sergeants and his colonels and things like that in his outfit. So they come up to him and they say in verse 13, but his officers tried to reason with him. He said, sir, they said, sir, if the prophet had told you to go out and to kill a lion with a bear's jaw, you would have done it. If he would have told you to climb the biggest mountain in the land, you would have done it. If they would have said, go conquer a nation, you would have done it. Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? Yes. So, you should certainly obey him when he says simply, go and wash and be cured. Basically, what the guys are saying, hey, dude, you don't have anything to lose. Okay? You've got leprosy. Why don't you just go down the river and dunk seven times and see what happens? Naaman, by the way, he did not have any faith. He was not a righteous man. He wasn't, a, he wasn't even Jewish. He was, he was somebody who had a lot of stroke secularly. He was a guy who had a lot of influence in the secular world. So when he goes there and they say, go dunk in the river, it didn't really faze him. He didn't have any faith. But the people around him did. Church, I don't know about you, man. There's been times in my life I didn't have any faith. But I thank God that he put people around me who I could piggyback off their faith. You know, I can, I can live off their encouragement. I can live off their peace and their hope until I get through whatever I'm going through. And I think that sometimes others see our reality more clearly than we do because you and I, we're, we're hurting, we're bleeding, we're bruised, we're battered, we're despondent, we're discouraged, we're depressed, we're dejected. And other people around us, they feel bad for us and they, they love us and they try to nurture us and they're trying to help us see what we need to do. Which takes humility. Naaman had to say, okay, guys, <laughs> I'm a general. I shouldn't be out here doing this. But if you think I ought to, I will. It took Naaman to get out of his own head. He had to get out of his own head and say, okay, maybe I'm not seeing things clearly. So he goes down there. He disrobes goes into the Jordan River. And I can imagine what's going on in Naaman's head, all the people around there. And it wasn't just his cohort that I think was at the river. I think it would have been all the Jews that maybe he kicked their tail, people who had, who'd, who'd seen him come in and wipe out their family or take away their home or their land. Can you imagine what the people on the bank were saying? They were, I hope you don't get healed. I, I hope you keep leprosy. And that's, as the big, big, important generals going down, you know that there had to be some people on the banks and... <coughs> He looks so stupid. And he's going down every dunk and his skin doesn't go uh, clean. It doesn't go pure. One, two, three, four, five, six. And he's thinking, well, I've come this far. Here we go. Goes down that seventh time. Comes back up. 
This is what the Bible says. So Naaman went down to the Jordan in verse 14, and he dipped himself seven times as the man of God, Elisha, had instructed him. When he came up that seventh time, his skin was as healthy as a baby's, and he was healed. Church, when you're willing to let go of your way, when we are willing to let go of our way, we become freed up to follow God's way. What Naaman was doing for his skin disease, it wasn't working. And God said, I have a way for you. It may not make sense to you. It may look crazy to you. But I have a way out. Church, you can have a release, but you have to release your plans first. You can have a release, but you've got to let go of your way first. You can have restoration, but you have to let go of what you think is working, and you and I both know it's probably not working, in order for God to come in and touch you. You might be thinking, well, well, Brother Mike, that's not really for me. Uh, But here's the thing, man. It doesn't matter how much money you have, prestige you have, influence you have, how much salads you have on your general's uniform, um, how much esteem you have on this planet. Church, it's God and God alone who can give you a miracle, whether you're poor or rich, fat or thin, smart or not so smart. It's only God who can bring you a miracle. And sometimes God seeks to remind us that He is the source of miracles. And one of the ways He does that is He will, he will either initiate or allow something to come into our life. So we realize that we do not have the resources to fix this. Man doesn't have the resources to fix this. But God, You do. You do. That takes humility. And that takes a great deal of faith. He allows our mess to get so bad that man-made solutions no longer exist. The only hope we have is God. Church, when we're in those situations, it's when our emotions will lie to us. It's when our emotions will play havoc with our mind or our spirit. And I think that emotions are to our spirit the way that senses are to our body. Hearing, tasting, smelling, seeing, and touching. Our emotions are how we respond to circumstances. Our emotions respond and they think, uh, 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 they, they respond to the situation that we're in. And, and maybe we struggle. Maybe we're struggling to survive some type of an emotional stronghold in our life. We feel helpless. We feel hopeless. We feel worthless because we ain't alright. We're ate up. We're not good. People will ask us how you're feeling, and we'll say, oh, we're feeling really good. Things are going good, but we're lying. And we're just tied up. You struggle shaking those emotions of discouragement and depression. We struggle with them, and, and we nurse them at night, and they, 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 they eat us up, and we wrestle with those emotions of guilt or shame or, or regret over a, ro- a wrong choice we made or a, a wrong word we said or a wrong action that we took. And it's that sin we deal with. We can't forget the affair. We can't forget the incident. We can't forget the indiscretion. We can't forget the word that we spoke. And maybe your emotion, and, and, and maybe that's you, something you did. But for some of you, you're sitting in this room and you're bound up with a stronghold in your life. But it's not because of anything you did. Somebody abused you physically. Somebody took advantage of you spiritually. Somebody, somebody abused you sexually. And you didn't have anything to do with that. That was somebody else's sin. And really, guys, what I want you to understand is at the heart of all this, the reason why we have these strongholds and the reason why our thinking can get all messed up is the bottom line, it's sin. That's the core reason. And it may not even be your sin. It might be the sin of somebody else. But taking all that off the table, the root cause, the source, the systemic uh, origins of your stronghold is sin. 
So we, we have to really deal with, with where the stronghold came from. And church, I want you to understand this. God did not create us to be in those strongholds. Not for five years, not for ten years, not for twenty years. And my brother Mike, what do you mean by that? How many of y'all still beat yourself up from stuff you did as a teenager? How many of you still beat yourself up for stuff you did as an adult? See, God didn't mean us to be in that stronghold for five years, ten years, twenty years. Y'all, he didn't, he didn't save us for us to be in bondage. He saved us so we could be free. He doesn't want you in bondage for five minutes, ten minutes, or twenty minutes. He wants you to have that blessing that comes from Him. In fact, John 10.10, Jesus says this, The enemy didn't come to do this, but I've come so you could live your best life now. I came so you could have a life full of abundance and satisfaction. I came so, I, I, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That's the exact opposite of emotional stronghold. He's not called us to live with each day in defeat. He's not called us to live in each day to be depressed and full of sorrow. That's not the way He's made us. That's not why He saved us. He, was, he wants us to know that He's the one who's in control of all things. He wants us to trust that He's the one who's in control of everything. And He's watching over the entirety of our life. Y'all, He's not just concerned about what we do from 10.30 to 11.30 on Sunday morning. Y'all, He's also, he's also watching what we're doing at noon on Sunday. He sees it all. And God wants you and me to live a life that is satisfying. And the only way we're really satisfied in life, the only way we're really free in life, the only way we can live our best life now is in a relationship with Him. Walking on that road with Him. We get off track. Emotional strongholds is one of them. I want to look today at two truths that can help us reverse the consequences of those emotional strongholds. The first truth is this. Guilt has a way of focusing Guilt has a way of putting us in an emotional stronghold. Or maybe it's shame. Or, or maybe it's regret. But stuff in our past will eat us up and it will put chains around our hearts. Listen to Hebrews 8.12. And now this is the truth, okay? This is God's Word. This is what we measure ourselves with. This is the divine standard. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. And I will never again remember their sins. Will you all repeat that with me? And I will never again remember their sins. So then why does the devil lie to us? Why does the devil say, man, you're worthless, you're, you're a piece of scum, no man of God or no woman of God would have done what you did, no, no man or woman of God would have, would have texted what you did, no woman or man of God would be on the sites you're on, on the internet, no man or woman of God would say the things you say at work, and so the devil will come to us and he'll say, man, you're guilty, you've got shame, how in the world do you think God can love you, uh, how do you think anybody can love you after what you've did or what's been done to you? And so we hear all this junk from the devil, and before too long, we're helpless, we're hopeless, and we don't think we're worth anything. And if we don't think we're worth anything, how in the world could God love us? Why does the devil lie to us about our past sins, our past detours, our past mistakes? Why does he say those are a deal breaker between you and God? I'm going to tell you why. It's because the devil actually knows the truth. He, the thing is, when you got saved, the devil lost you, and it makes him furious. Because he knows you're saved. He knows your sins have been forgiven by God, but he hadn't. And he wants to try his best to keep you remembering of your sin, uh, our sin, our our, uh, acrimonious times where we messed up so horribly wrong. 
He knows our sins have been canceled. He knows they've been nailed to the cross. He, the devil knows that the punishment for our sin has been served. But here's the thing. He'll tell us all the time they're not. Nope. You still have to feel guilty. You still have to feel remorse. You still have to feel like scum. You still have to feel depressed because you know what you did. And he's right. But y'all, I, I want you to know some truth. Jesus is in the business of setting us free. He's in the business of taking chains off of people. He's in the business of setting us free. And the amazing thing is, He starts that freedom with our acknowledgement of the truth that when you got saved, you were given a new life, a new name, a new lease on your life. The devil knows that truth. Now, I wish we did. I wish we knew the truth that we have a new beginning and a new start, a new eternal home, a new destiny. And when we know the truth, God gives us something. He gives us the the power to overcome whatever strongholds in our life. The power of the Holy Spirit gives you strength to overcome whatever's holding you down, those strongholds. And church, know this. We're never going to leave behind our emotional stronghold if we keep going back to the thing that's holding us down. Brother Mike, I'm trying to kick internet porn, okay? You can't do that while you're still going to internet porn. Well, Brother Mike, I'm having an affair. I I really need to get out of that. You're right, but you cannot stop having an affair unless you stop going to that man or that woman. Well, Brother Mike, I've got an addiction. Well, you're not going to ever deal with that addiction until you stop doing what you're doing. We don't get freedom if we keep going back to what's holding us in bondage. That's crazy. You'll never reverse the direction by giving in to it. Your key to the return, uh, your key to returning to God is counseling Satan's influences over your life, over your mind, and over your thoughts. And if you don't, you're going to feel exactly the way the devil wants you to. When God is dominating your thought life, you're going to feel like God designed you to feel. Whenever and whoever we align our thinking with is how we'll think. If we think that we're worthless, if we think that there's no way God can love us, if we think there's no way God can use us, let me tell you something. That's not God telling you that. That's the enemy telling you that. And the devil wants you to stay in bondage and in chains. Church, we get to choose. We get to choose who we listen to. We can either choose to listen to the devil or we can choose to listen to God. The choice is up to us. We can choose life or death, blessing or curses, favor or walking out of favor. God is saying you are forgiven, you are set free, you are new, you have a new life, you have the mind of Christ, your sins have been wiped off the books. And the devil's saying, Mm-mm-mm. you're worthless. You cheated on your spouse, or you weren't a good parent, you weren't a good dad, you weren't a good mom, you weren't this, you weren't that. Now, i got a question for you. Who are you going to believe? Jesus said, my sins have been forgiven and forgotten. Who are you going to believe? And man, as long as we listen to, to old Slewfoot, as long as we listen to the old devil, man, we're going to be focused on our past. And we'll never be free. You get to choose who you listen to. Church... I believe that God can handle whatever is in our life. I think that God can handle whatever we will let Him be in control of. Because He hears all, He knows all, He sees all, He cares. In church, Jesus has you in His hands. He's got your problems in His hands. He has all of it. And it's time that we trust Him. And when we trust Him, there's an amazing thing that happens. When we trust Him, we can just move on. We can just move. We can just go forward. Because we know that God has our back. Have you ever wondered what Jesus did with our sin? 
I mean, we ask for forgiveness, but what did they do with it? Cool verse, man. Colossians. Tells us exactly what Jesus did, Colossians 2. He says, if you're in First Baptist Church today, you were dead because of your sins. You were dead because of your sinful nature. Because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive in Christ. Something happened. There was a transformation. There was an exchange. There was a conversion that took place. Then God made you alive in Christ. Why? Because He forgave you of all your sins. How did you do that? Because He canceled the record of the charges against us and He took it away by nailing it on the cross. Now, man, that's a really cool verse. But do you understand really what that means? Here it is. Our sins have apparently kept somewhere on a, on a legal document. An affidavit, if you will. Something that was given under oath to be used as evidence in a court of law. Our sins were written down. All of our guilty, all, everything that we're guilty of. Everything. Some of us probably had a manila folder and others might have had several volumes. But the thing is, they're all down. Those are the things that we're guilty of. And those things, every one of them bring a death sentence by the, because the Bible says, for the wages of sin, one sin is death. So, somewhere they were written down. So what did he do with them? Well, this is what happened. Every thought and behavior and action that violated, God's, that, that violated God's divine standard. And by the way, any violation of God's divine standard, whether by commission or omission, is a sin. We've all done it. Whether it's a lustful thought, an affair, a text, a web search, word spoken, action taken, everything. So what did God do, Mike? Well, those, those files, those affidavits, what God did is he, he put yours and mine in the hand of Jesus, folded them up, put them in his hand. All of our charges, which we were guilty of. He's canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it on the cross. All of our sin has been taken to the cross by Jesus. He took the affidavit with your name on it, the court file, He folded it up and He put it in the hands of Jesus. What a tremendous document that must have been. But the nail pierced it. Then as Jesus held the butcher's bill for all of humanity's sin in His hand, there was a nail that was driven through it and into the cross. Our record of sin, our record of debt, our record of rebellion, our record of treason against God's throne, all of it, even the thank you thing, even though the things you think God doesn't know about, all of it was nailed to the cross. The nailing of our affidavit was nailed to the cross, meaning that those charges had been dealt with. Your charges weren't dropped. Your charges were paid for by Jesus. They didn't just blow on them and they went away. Jesus paid the penalty, which is death. All of them. They weren't dropped. The sentence has been served, but not by you and me. The time has been served, but not by us. Oh, it was our crime, but He did the time. All of us been pierced on the cross. Jesus was smitten by the wrath of God. Church, the wrath of God against sin. You've got to understand this. Jesus took all the serving that was in the wrath of God. And the thing is, now when we beat ourselves up, look in the cup, it's empty. You ain't got no wrath in there left for you, man. 
Jesus took it all. There's no more anger. He took it all. Jesus was smitten by the wrath of God. I want you to look what Isaiah 53, verse 4 through 6 says. Surely He took away our, our infirmities. He took away our sorrow. Yet we considered Him stricken by God, smitten by Him, and afflicted. But He was pierced for whose transgressions? Yeah, that's, that's, us. that's us. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and praise God, by His wounds, we're healed. All that trash that we've went through, all those sins that we did, were crucified on the cross with Jesus. Verse 6, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to His own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. All of the affidavits were laid on Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For God made Him who knew no sin to become sin. Whew, what a sacrifice. i got one more verse I'm going to throw at you. Romans 5, 19. For just as through the disobedience of one man, which is Adam, the many were made sinners, that's us, so also through the obedience of one man, which is Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Man, that's what Jesus did with and for our sins. He took them away, canceled them out, saved the pun- uh, served the punishment. Now you and I can be free. Church. Here's the fact. Your charges will not stand in heaven's court when you go to heaven. Your charges will not stand in heaven's court. And because here's the thing. Heaven didn't lose your paperwork. Heaven didn't lose your paperwork. Somebody else paid the fine. Somebody else did your time. You will stand before God's throne innocent for all of eternity. You know why? Dadgummit, not because of anything we did, but because of everything He did. You and I get to stand before God as if we had never sinned. In fact, that's where we get that word. Just as if I never sinned. Man, we stand before God justified. And church, if you believe there's no way God can never turn your situation around, if you think there's no way God can save your marriage, or save your mind, or save your sanity, or save your family, if you think God can't do that, you're right. But if you think God can move mountains in your life and bring healing and freedom, you're right. If you think that God can heal you of your emotional leprosy, you're right. But you've got to get in the river. You've got to be faithful. We'll either trust our emotions or we'll trust God. Now our guilt and our shame have a way of putting us in emotional strongholds. And our guilt will put us in chains, but our God wants to set us free if we'll trust Him to do so. The second thing I want you to know is this. God has a way of freeing us from emotional strongholds. God has a way of freeing us from emotional strongholds. One of the most important verses in Scripture, I think for me, and these are the two verses I'm working on this week. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. The Bible says this. God says, hey Mike, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Billy, your ways are not my ways. Tim, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Well, Mike, why did you share that verse? Because it's important, guys, we know this. God's bigger than us. He sees it all at the same time. Right now, we're just kind of looking through a mirror dimly. We think we got some of it sorted out. We don't know all of it. 
Man, if you think the Bible is just all of God, man, we just got a glimpse into what God is and who God is. But man, what we know about Him, it's enough. It's enough. And God is intimately involved with the minute details of His creation, even down to the amount of hairs we have on our head. But church, not only does He know us personally, but but our God is over everything. Yeah, He knows how many hairs are on our head, but He also sees the entire universe at a glance. And we can get our mind around that idea that He sees all, He knows all, He comprehends all, that He considers all. You and I are finite. We have a hard time getting through the day, let alone uh, you know, our whole life. We are finite and we can only consider what we have come across to some point in time. Church, in order to experience a reversal of seemingly irreversible circumstances in our life, we've got to trust Him, follow Him, and obey Him. Because He's the one who understands. He's the one who knows. We've got to look at him in his word as the ultimate guidance. So God's thoughts are not our thoughts, but secondly, God's ways aren't our ways. They're higher. And just as God's thoughts are higher than ours, his ways are more sophisticated than any plan or path you and I could concoct. God knows all the options on the table. He's thought them through and then some. We would be wise to follow him. We would be wise to follow His leading. And church, if God can guide an entire nation over the Red Sea with an oncoming army to get them, He's big enough to handle whatever strongholds you and I come dealing with. He'll do the same for us. You see, He's not bound by time. He's not bound by matters like we are. Church, look to God to show you your next step in order to reverse the seemingly irreversible consequences in your life. Look to Him because God sees all, God knows all. And God understands all. And because of this, His ways aren't our ways. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. He's got more information than we do. He's got more information. Now, we may question why He allows something to happen. We may question why He allows or allowed what He did. And we may scratch our head and we may try to figure out His plan. We think, God, why'd you let this happen? Or why'd you initiate this? Or or why'd you allow this to happen? But church, in the end, Isaiah 55 verse 8 and 9 reminds us that you and I may not ever figure God out. And there's a reason for that. His thoughts are higher than ours and His ways are higher than ours. What makes us think we could ever figure something out? Now, some of you will get freedom when you hear this today. Some of you can get freedom if you'll do this one thing. Stop trying to feel the need to understand why everything happens in your life. Because you won't. You think you have to have all the details and all the whys answered. Letting go of the need to understand everything right now and trust that God can make a miracle of what looks like a mess in your life. You know, when I was younger, man, I think, I thought, you know, when I get to, God, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God a whole lot of questions. Why'd you let my mom die when I was young? Why'd you let my kids die when, before I even had a chance to raise them? But the older I get, this is what I think, Jared. When I get to heaven, I don't think it'll mean squat to me why he did what he did. It won't mean, it won't mean anything. Y'all, when I get there, 
I got a feeling that I will understand it by and by. And when I can give up that thing right now where, God, I got to understand why I went through this. Man, I don't got to understand the problem. I need to understand the problem solver. Say, God, I trust you. I don't know why you had me go out in that river seven times on that sixth when I thought I was going to drown. But praise God, I'm glad I went down that seventh time because when I came up, I was healed. And, I, and God, I didn't even, oh, God, I didn't even have faith. I just walked in obedience. How many of y'all, sometimes you just ain't got faith and you just need to walk in obedience? God, I'm struggling, but I'm going to trust you. One way to overcome emotional stronghold is to let go of the need to understand everything right now. His perspective is simply so much higher than ours. It's broader than ours. It's more sophisticated than ours. It's grander. It's transcendent of anything you and I could think or do. His perspective is something that we've got to get a hold of. And that's why faith is critical in the believer's life. Because here's the thing. I can show you the book. I can preach the sermon. Man, we can do songs that reflect the sermon. But if you don't act on them, you might say you have faith, but your actions are a lot louder than your words. Oh, I have faith. Really? Go jump in the Jordan. I can't do that. People will think I'm nuts. Well, then your options are to think people think you're nuts or stay miserable. What are you going to do? That's the choice. Faith demonstrates through our actions that we trust God even when we don't understand Him. God, I don't know why this is going on in my life, but I know You. I don't understand the pain, but I know You. I don't understand how You can forgive me of my sins, but I believe in the cross. To trust God's heart means you choose to trust Him that He has your best interests at heart and He's guiding you. Trusting God's heart gives you the freedom to move forward according to, the, uh, to live the life that He wants you to live. Church, if you truly believe that God loves you and wants what's best for you, you don't really need to understand the path that you're on, but you can understand this. Whatever destination He's taking you to through your crap, it's going to be good. Whatever thing He's bringing you through, it's going to be good at the end. Preach, why do you say that? I didn't say it. Romans 8 did. And we know that God causes all things. Our junk, our pain, our hurt, our guilt, our divorce. All this. God will cause all things to work together for good for those who love God for those who are called according to His purpose. Now, church, here's the thing. You can either think that's a lie or you can think that's the truth. That's your choice. I will tell you this. If you don't think that's true, buckle up because you're just going to have your chains on. We receive that verse by faith. We walk in that verse by faith. We realize that God is at work in our life. And church, God is not, re God is not responding to our bad times proactively. He's not saying, oh my, something happened in that guy's life. I need to interact. I need to, I need to show up on the scene. Guys, uh-uh. Jesus is not being proactive in your life. He knows before He initiates or permits the adversity exactly what He's going to use it for good for. He knew it was coming. And he's going to use it. Church, 
when we trust and we have faith in Him, when we're obedient to Him, I think it delights the heart of God. You can say you trust God, but if your actions don't align with the truth of His words, then they're just words. And I think that God will let us go through some of those times just to let us know that we can't figure it out, people can't figure it out, but God's already got it figured out. All right, I'm going to show this to you. This is interesting. If Tub would come forward and start to help me out. According to research at an English university, it doesn't matter in what order the letters in a word are. The only important thing is that the first and last letter is at the right place. The rest can be a thought, a total mess, and you can still uh, read it without a problem. This is because we do not read every letter by itself, but the word as a whole. Did you read that just fine? I think there are like five words spelt right in that whole thing. But there's a little lesson to be gleaned from that exercise. We must learn to read life the way we read words on a page. We've got to learn to read life the way we read words on a page. Mike, what do you mean by that? Well, we read that first letter and the last letter and we, we kind of look over everything in the middle. We know what's at the front of that word. We know that it's the back of that word. We need to learn to read life the way we read the words. Resist the temptation to focus too much on what's in the middle. You see, when you gave your heart to Jesus, praise God, your life started. Your life in Christ started, it began. And one of these days, the Lord's going to call you home and He's going to take you to glory. That's the end. I've shown you the beginning and I've shown you the end. Now where you and I spend our life is that messed up mess in the middle. On your tombstone, it'll say born and died and there'll be a two inch dash in the middle of it. That's where we spend our time. Church, Jesus claims to be the beginning and the end. Jesus claims to be the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus claims to be the Alif and the Tav. Among other things, this suggests this very fact. Jesus is saying, Mike, church, I got you going on the right road. I got you saved. I got you redeemed. I forgave you of your sin. You're a new creation, a new creature. And I promise you, when you draw your last breath and you close your eyes in death, the first thing you'll see will be my face. What makes you think I won't take care of the chaos in the middle? What makes you think I can't overcome that jumbled mess you made? Church, tell you what, there's some days the only way I get through the day is that I know at the end it all works out. I know at the end, I know it's going to be fine. That's your Jesus too. God has not led us to wallow in the chaos and the confusion of the middle. He's made sure the beginning and the end, all things will work together for those who love the Lord. God restores meaning to your life in the middle. And when you read life as a whole, the chaos in the middle will take on an entirely different meaning. If I could have every head bowed and every eye closed. This morning, some of you need to take your eyes off of yourself and off your problem. You need to stick your fingers in your ear and stop listening to the voice of the enemy who says you're worthless, you're no good.
you're broken. There's no way God can love you, let alone use you. You need to tell old Slewfoot to shut up and go read his Bible because your Bible says you're redeemed, you're forgiven, you are loved, and you're set free by a God who will never leave or forsaken or abandon. A God who does not let the widow be turned away, doesn't let the hungry go, doesn't let the thirsty go, doesn't let the prisoner go, doesn't let the leper go without a touch of the Master's hand, my dear friend. Jesus has freedom for you. He's in the business of setting people free. He ain't going to force your freedom. You've got to choose your freedom. And whatever choice you make determines something. You've got the freedom to choose, but you do not get to choose the consequences. But when you choose Jesus, things change. When you choose truth, things change. When you say, God, you're right. I am who you say I am. I don't understand it and I don't feel it, but I believe it. Man, today, if you're struggling in the middle of something, maybe it's something you've been holding on to for five days, five years, ten years, twenty years. Today, you heard a word that said God didn't build you to live like that. Man, that spoke to your heart. Sir, that spoke to your heart. Student, that spoke to you. In a moment, I'm going to give us an invitation. I'm going to extend an invitation. Some of you just need to come up to, a, to, to an old-fashioned invitation. You need to deal before God and say, God, I'm racked. I'm in bondage. I'm on the wrong road. I got off on an exit I shouldn't have taken. I got turned around out here in idle town, or I got turned around over here in Addiction Avenue, or I got turned around over here in emotional strong emotional stronghold freeway. God, I need to come back. Brother Mike showed me the GPS coordinates this morning that I need to get back on the track. And Lord, I just want you to know, be, I want you to know, be expecting me because I'm going to be home tonight. I'm going to be back with you. I'm not going to listen to the enemy anymore. I'm not going to listen to his lying self. I'm going to listen to the truth of your word. How about that freedom this morning? If I could ask you to stand to your feet. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to come forward. You can just simply pray up here. Now, church, some of you, some of you are going to do this. You're going to see somebody up here at the altar praying, and the Holy Spirit's going to say, go pray with them. And you're going to have to have a choice to make. Well, Brother Mark, I won't know what to say. The Holy Spirit's going to tell you what to say. He might just say cry with them. Almighty God, I come to you, and Lord, I can't can't tell you enough how much I love you. I can't tell you much how much, I can't tell you enough how, how glorious you are. And Lord, today I pray that there would be people who would be set free, released from emotional strongholds. People who would be released, Father, from feelings of hopelessness and despair. Feelings of shame. Feelings of guilt. Because God, you didn't build us that way. You built us so we could live our best life now. God, would you set people free today? 
As every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If the Holy Spirit is drawing you to freedom this morning, there are some things that were deposited in your spirit that you need to act on before this service closes. This invitation is yours. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. And amen.